0: Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame Video Game Podcast, starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's
1: the show. Hey, Mike, how are we doing? Hey, Matt, I'm happy to be back for what I'm calling a remixed.
0: A remastered, well,
1: <laughs> a remastered a- episode here. I think
0: that's appropriate, Mike, because I'm going to apologize. You don't have to, because my idea was, hey, let's talk about two games in one episode. And we, this is now our second time we're remastering or doing this revision of our discussions. We're back with one of the best games of all time.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it depends on who you ask. Some publications have this one. Uh, a little low for my liking, but I think that Final Fantasy 7 is kind of a monumental piece of video game entertainment, and I think when publications take a top 100 list and they put this on towards the bottom, and not to name names, but there are sites that do stuff like that, I almost feel like it's done on purpose because... It's a game that is so monumental. It's a game that ultimately, probably, culturally is the most important release in the series that people come into it with a chip on their shoulder. They come into it purposely going out of their way to try to hate this game because you hear about how good it is. Now, people don't do that with Chrono Trigger. People don't do that with Chrono Trigger. They don't do it with Earthbound, even though when we had our friend Paul on the show, and we talked about and we talked about Earthbound, and how both of us were like, there's no way it could be as good as people say it is, and it was actually better than we thought it would have been. Typically, a lot of these classic games, people don't go into with the thought process that it's overrated. And Final Fantasy VII is a game that, had you talked to me about it maybe 10 or 12 years ago? I probably would have said something along the lines of like, hey, it's an awesome game. I love it. But it might be a little overrated. Now in the year 2023, as I've revisited this game a few times, both playing the original game again on the Switch, on the downloaded version there, or playing the remake and its additional content, or interacting with it with the internet being doing what the internet does, playing as Cloud in Smash Brothers. And even just last week, based on when we record this, just last week, the Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis project has finally been put on your mobile phones. There's a reason why Final Fantasy VII is a brand for Square. It's almost, it's, it's not almost, it's 100% its own series. And it wouldn't be there if it wasn't an incredibly high-quality game from the beginning, had the most memorable characters, the most memorable designs, fantastic music, and just incredible eye-catching and memorable scenes. Final Fantasy VII is a game that, even me, if you came to me and asked me what my favorite Final Fantasy was, I'd probably say 9 I'd probably say Tactics. But when you really sit down and look at how important a piece of cultural art final fantasy is a piece of entertainment. It is final fantasy seven is, and I know this is going to sound nuts is every bit as important as star Wars or Spider-Man or Batman or Mario, maybe not Mario, but it's every bit as important as a lot of these properties for the medium in which it's in it almost feels like there was a time before this game and a time after this game and not just for the final fantasy series but for video games and for rpgs on the whole final fantasy 7 definitely is a turning point a watershed moment in what video games could do what video games were saw uh, what video games excuse me what video games were seen as and it had this level of maturity and depth that we really didn't see in too many games before this. Final Fantasy VI is a beautiful game and arguably the best game in the series. And I love Final Fantasy VI, but you do lose some of the depth in the translation with 2D sprites versus kind of a 3D world. There's a reason why Final Fantasy VII is the game that got remade to the degree that it got remade. And there's a reason why they're still cranking out Final Fantasy VII content what twenty, twenty six years later, it'll be twenty seven years later in in January. So, there's a reason why Cloud and Sephiroth are in Smash Brothers, right? So it's one of those things where it's this very very important piece of the cultural puzzle for Japanese art and entertainment in America, and the world. But I credit it for anime getting popular in America. I credit it for RPGs getting popular in America. I credit it for the kind of boom of final fantasy in america i think before final fantasy 7 series is way more niche and actually probably it's it's way more niche before 7 7 blows things up and now it's kind of starting to find its way into being a niche property again i just think the name the name recognition isn't as strong as it once was but time and time again this is a game that is incredibly special
0: yeah, Mike, there are very few video games that we sit here and talk about that I actually get overwhelmed when I think, where do you begin with a game like Final Fantasy 7? Because this did for Final Fantasy mm-hmm. what Super Mario 64 did for Mario. This did what Ocarina of Time did for Zelda.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if this didn't work, we don't get any other Final Fantasy games after this. Yep. Final Fantasy 6 to Final Fantasy 7, you're right. The degree of greatness might not have changed, but the degree of ambition
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the full motion video,
1: yep.
0: all of the, the pre rendered backgrounds, all of the changes they made from a Super Nintendo game. We didn't even talk about Nintendo to Sony, but going from a Super Nintendo 16 bit game to this 32 bit with 3D computer graphics, 3D yeah. character models. Yeah. This was so ambitious. Yeah. It was incredible when you walk into the map as cloud strife and you see you can walk just about you feel like you go just about anywhere and yes you're right some of the graphics might not have aged and that's why this was the perfect game for a remake because the bones the foundation of this game is so good and that's why we're talking about it continues like you said to get better i feel like years and years after there was a point where people were kind of turning its nose at it and then it came back people realizing no this game was so freaking ambitious from a story yeah. point of view, characters, combat, it hit on all cylinders and that's why they said we can make this game better, but not because the story is not good, not because the characters aren't good, not because the music isn't good. That we we kept all of that. Yeah. We just gave some quality of life changes, but the original game here is just something that I marvel at today thinking back. How did this game from the introduction to the opening, we'll talk about some of the nitty-gritty. Certain the things they take a more realistic approach in certain things. There's so many things that I sit back here and I go, man, we wouldn't have Final Fantasy 8 or 9. We wouldn't have everything we got on the PS2 and PS3. We wouldn't have the newest game, Final Fantasy 16. None of this works if they don't actually get this done right. And I think if this, this costs them millions of dollars, I think they say $80 million, which you got to remember, back then, we're talking over 20 years ago. That's a lot of freaking money. Oh, and, yeah. And they really, you can't really pinpoint any singular thing that they made a mistake on here.
1: No, they really didn't. The systems work really, really well. The, yeah, the the out of combat graphics are probably the biggest issue with the game, right? Because they look the most dated, but there is charm to them. Yep. The fact that no characters have mouths and no characters have hands and I they think look like
0: knockoff Legos a little bit. Yeah, they look like <laughs> Lego
1: Lego people. But there is there is some charm to that. I yes. think in in and, and it's not like a game that was trying to be super photorealistic, like Ocarina of Time or something like that. When you go back and look at that, you see the rough edges. Seven Final Fantasy Seven. It's almost like you they went out of their way to be like, okay, we're gonna make the out of combat visuals so incredibly weird that. They will age, but almost not age because it's so unique. Like, no other game looks like Final Fantasy VII. And you look at Cloud and his design's so iconic. These characters are recognizable. The whole cast of Final Fantasy VII is more recognizable than pretty much every other RPG game ever. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. People know Cloud and Sephiroth right away. Easily hyper-recognizable. And... There's a reason for that, right? They're just they're just really really well designed. Tetsuya Nomura did so much good design work on these game, on this game, that there's a reason why these des- designs are kind of timeless because yeah. even the current version of the characters look like they used to. I think characters is a great
0: spot to start when we get into this game and mm-hmm. you're right. I've played just about every Final Fantasy and I can't think of many characters names. Off the top of my head, I played Final Fantasy 8 many times, so I can name Squall and some of other characters there. But this game, the 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 full looking at the full roster, playable and non playable. Yeah, you don't get much deeper, more diverse, more interesting, more fun characters than let's go through them. You talked about Cloud. I mean, wow. he looks like like you said anime influence. The hair, great look, great looking as far as unique style. Mm-hmm. Barrett. I mean, let's like about Barrett, this muscle bound, tough guy, dude. got a what temper is- to him, but a soft side.
1: Yeah, he's like a big teddy bear with a machine gun arm. Like <laughs> he's got a he's got tattoos, and in the newer game, he wears shades. Yeah, you know, Barrett is such, and it's what's what's great about a lot of these characters, including Barrett. While we're talking about Barrett, is that so many of these characters have almost like a double double edge to them? Cloud is a very edgy, broody hero. Yeah. character which we would see in a lot of anime at the time and a lot of rpgs but the further you play through the game you realize that cloud is kind of like this dorky wannabe yeah. right that he's putting on a facade barrett is this big hulking muscle-bound tough guy who is once you who, find out his
0: backstory you yeah. realize this is all to protect people in his life
1: he's a hero right he's a total hero he's a he's a, con- a conservationalist. he's a he's an eco-terrorist, some might say. He's he's fighting for the the greater good of the planet. Barrett is literally trying to save the planet. And he has a little girl who has him wrapped around his finger. And he's a big, lovable guy. So there's something about that too, right? Especially when you play the remake, because you can really feel Barrett a lot more in the remake through his dialogue, all the characters through their dialogue, right? You have Aerith who is kind of, they, they almost market her as like, she's the damsel. She's the one you're trying to save, which has its issues. But once you realize that she's not, and she's tough, and she's a tough girl from the sh- slums, yep. and she's got a good sense of humor, and she's a total goofball, right? It's like, oh, that's amazing, right? That's that's so incredible that the character has that edge. You have Tifa, who's, she's played off as kind of like this sweetheart, kind of bar, bartender who runs this bar and cares about people, but she'll also punch you in the face. It's one of those things where it's like, you don't get that in a lot of games, right? You got Kate Sith, who's a joke of a character, but has a lot of heart. You have Red 13, who's this terrifying Experiment. monster. Yeah. yeah, he's a terrifying experimental monster dog. And he he's, he's wise beyond his years. And um, each of these characters get such lush backstories and you find out
0: where they're from and you usually meet their their villages and yeah. there's that connection that most games don't give you that time to really spend time with each character and you feel like you really know these people and that's why it's probably why final fantasy 7's become a, a universe that these yeah. characters are so lush
1: there's just so much to it you've got like sid for example sid's a great example of a of a character who's who's got some layers sid is a hmm angry foul-mouthed pilot who smokes up a chimney and fights things with a homemade spear but then you realize that it's because he had everything taken away from him and he's actually probably just depressed that he didn't get to be an astronaut because he worked so hard to be an astronaut and shinra the evil company behind everything in this game right takes it away from him or you have Yuffie, who is this annoying little brat who is actually trying to protect her people.
0: So Mike, I actually find Barrett really interesting because when you think of JRPGs at this time, you weren't getting representation. Nope. You weren't getting things like this. So, yes, in retrospect, there are a lot of stereotypes and things that might not have been handled properly for the time, but it was nice to see representation. You were getting a lot of a lot of white. A lot of Japanese characters in the early Final Fantasies to get some representation here was also nice to see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's what's what's great about about Barrett is that representation is there and he's such a such a great character.
0: And like you said, great female characters too. I mean, some of the best.
1: Yeah, the women the women in this game are fantastic, pretty much across the board. The characters that you have in your party, the hero characters, but also like Aerith's mom Aerith's mom is mm-hmm. great. Elena from the Turks is awesome you've got even even scarlet who is like awful right awful just an awful villain she's interesting she's an interesting villainous ca- villainous character so it's something that this game just does so much with narrative character development story ambiance vibe the combat for the time is what the combat at the time was the ATV system is is it works yeah. If it didn't work, they wouldn't have used it in so many games.
0: The I like how he said the vibe because there, there's so much to this game and vibe kind of like if you've played this game, it summarizes it so well. But yeah, Mike, in addition to the hero party, you talked about the Turks. Let's talk about some of the villains because I feel like some of the villains are just as noteworthy. You talk about the Turks, which are like this crazy FBI for the Shinra.
1: Yeah, they're like they're they're kind of like their their special forces to a degree. That pretty much they just kill people, right? They're pretty much a, a team of assassins. But the Turks, they're kind of like a curveball. You don't know if they're good yeah, or bad sometimes. They they definitely go through s- spots where the Turks actually become kind of these anti-hero characters. Uh, yeah. We would see more of that in Advent Children. Yep. But sometimes they, sometimes the Turks aren't bad, and they help you out. Because they know stuff's messed up. Because Shinra at some point stops being the main villain of the game when it transitions to being Sephiroth. The first few hours of this game, the Midgar section of Final Fantasy VII, is probably one of the greatest single sections of a video game of all time. Uh, I think it's hyper memorable. And if you want to talk about vibe, the kind of rotting cyberpunk vibe is so very good. And I don't think anything else really feels like final fantasy sevens setting it's vibe it's emotional beats. Like there's so much about like just the, even the first four or five hours of the game, maybe, maybe up to like the first six or seven hours that like nothing felt like that at that point in time. And nothing has felt like that since. And they do keep trying. <laughs> they keep trying to recapture that lightning in a bottle, but from the second you've got Cloud looking up at the tower from Shinra, to the way the giant plate operates, where the rich live on the giant plate and the poor people live in the slums below the plate, and how Shinra is willing to destroy parts of Midgar so that it could make Avalanche, the, the team that you're on, mm-hmm. look bad, and it's 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 a it's actually. It's funny because if you look at Final Fantasy 7 now its storyline it's like it's this the beginning of the game is kind of like this anti-corporate yep eco-terrorist game where a big energy company is essentially the main villain for a, a, a bunch of the game and and it's kind of ahead of its time in 1997 where we're talking about energy and dirty energy and cleaning and essentially robbing the planet of its life force
0: and i feel like um, they do a good job with that mike and in, in making it realistic and making yeah. it believable because in previous final fantasy games there is a lot of magic mm-hmm. and fantasy to it but mm-hmm. this game they try to explain it with the with the mako and the materia yeah, yeah. and it, it sort of gives some understanding to someone and like you said makes it more mainstream and understandable to the average person who's just maybe hasn't played a game of the style before, it gives them a kind of a gateway into, oh, what is this world? Well, these corporate, these people are killing the world basically to suck this energy out. It's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, and Materia, the the substance that you get all of your abilities from in this game is essentially like hardened versions of... The, the Mako energy that focuses and gives you different abilities based on holding the materia. So you it's more science fiction-y, right, in terms of how you get even your abilities yep. and your spells. So where in the other games, you would either get them based on the job class you were in, or you would buy the spells, or you would have a weapon, or uh, you would be able to essentially attach a summon spirit to your characters, like in Final Fantasy 6. In Final Fantasy 7, you get materia which are these these rocks essentially that can slip into the character's weapons or armor and each piece of armor and each weapon has a number of slots Mm -hmm. and with those slots you can equip materia and the materia allows you to do things but what's great about materia is that it's not just having the materia which makes it interesting you can chain and connect and do all that stuff with the materia so that your loadout of each character is is a little different every time you play it or character to character or person to person. It's not just the customization there isn't just in your team, it's in your materia chains. And if you can have if you have two materia slots on an item or a weapon or whatever that are connected, they will act together. So you could do something like first attack death blow or you could do something like final attack phoenix or so you can attach those things so if your character if it's final attack phoenix if your characters get wiped out in battle phoenix will come do some damage and also resurrect your party or if you have the all materia which allows you to essentially select all in combat and you put the restore material next to it you can cure your whole party member all your party right so there's so much really cool stuff that you can do in this game in terms of customization with materia and each character is kind of broken down by like their base stats as well as their as the limit break moves that they get like it's really just about visual visuals their limit breaks and their they each character kind of has base stats that you can work around but materia can adjust that as well
0: yeah there's a simplicity like you said but there's also this Flexibility and depth that you get with this system that you said before the combat system is still turn based, it's an active turn based, but there's still something fresh to it because of this materia system that makes it feel completely yeah. different than any of the job class systems that you had previously.
1: Yeah, the jobs are still almost there, right? It's like each character almost kind of has a job, yeah, based on their weapons. It's more based on their weapons, like Cloud is your warrior, Teeth is your monk. Aerith is your white mage. Yep, if he's a ninja and so on and so forth. But you, you, Kate Sith is kind of your gambler character. But you don't have like a dedicated. All right, this is your this is your wizard, right? You don't have a dedicated. This is your summoner. You don't have those dedicated classes here. So what you work around with is you work around the materia and you work around which. Character's Who has the best, the best slots,
0: best what what abilities they have based on the slots. They might get a great weapon that gives them three slots, and you go, "I'm going to give this person more material."
1: Exactly, and it's funny because sometimes the characters that you think are good at something aren't. Right. When I was playing the remake recently, when I played through the remake, I was like, "Okay, yeah, Barrett's definitely not going to be a magic user." It Turns out, Barrett's the best magic user in the game it just doesn't seem like that because he's got a machine gun for a hand but he's a great he's a great magic user cloud's a really great well-rounded character Tifa's is a good bruiser Aerith is good at healing so it's one of those things where you kind of have to play around with it a little bit it's not always what you think it is and always what you think it should be like one of the probably the coolest character in the game if you want to talk about like 90s edgelord status is vincent and he's terrible yeah. Like, he's not really good as a character. He just looks cool. He looks
0: really cool, but you find out pretty quickly, you're like, yeah, I should probably not have him in my party.
1: No, Vincent ends up being, <laughs> he ends up being a total, totally like a double-edged sword because his limit break often heals the enemies you're fighting because of elemental resistance and whatnot. So it's a, it's a really just fantastic experience. Once you get out of Midgar, I think it's it, it becomes a little less compelling I think the Sephiroth's I'm going to destroy the world storyline is great. It works for a fantasy game like Final Fantasy, but I do think that's like the strongest part of it is like Avalanche versus Mid- uh, versus Shinra, which I think is why that's what the first part of the remake focused on so heavily. And But once you get out of Midgar, you got the whole world to explore and you've got Chocobos you can find and you have secrets you can find. And there are two optional characters, which we don't really see in... Final Fantasy games anymore, right? You don't have to get Yuffie. You don't have to get Vincent. They're completely optional characters. And it's pretty great that you have that. So the world is so expansive. It's so big. It took what the old school classic Final Fantasy games were and took it from being you looking down on like an open map page and you were walking around to kind of like you were running through almost like a pop up book. Yeah. Because the the 3D world that you're in, once you get out of Midgar, has height to it. Mm-hmm. It's got Yeah, depth there's definitely to it.
0: verticality. I mean,
1: even from the first
0: level, I'd say when you're yeah. climbing in that reactor and you're going up and down these ladders, mm-hmm. there's a sense of scope. Even in the pre-rendered backgrounds, you feel like the game has scale that the previous games never had.
1: Yeah, it's always funny that they're pre-rendered too, right? So you look back at it now and it's just like, oh, I get why people at the time, were really just head over heels with Ocarina of Time. Because that's an open programmed world that you're running through. Like That was all built. Whereas Final Fantasy VII, you're pretty much running around a JPEG, but you're running around a bit. I feel image, like but- this
0: lets your imagination run yes. with it. If you're in the world and you're in the story, those pre-rendered backgrounds come to life.
1: The pre-rendered backgrounds look better than anything else.
0: Yeah, I think- Except for maybe the CG cutscenes, but yeah. In some ways, this stuff ages better than some of the fully 3D worlds of some Mm -hmm. of these games. Mm -hmm. This was the first in the series to use the FMVs, which is the full motion videos. And a lot of those looked really good. There was a cinematic experience that you never got before in an RPG or in many video games at all.
1: No, this this game definitely really was like- the first game that that really pushed the CG cutscene, right? The FMV, where it's just like, "Hey, you really need this." Like Resident Evil did it with the live action stuff, but this game did it with CG work. That those CG cutscenes still look really good, and the music you
0: know, going with it—it's like a full multimedia experience. That yeah. video games were really not known for that.
1: No, they weren't known for that, and this is one of the first games that really does that, and a lot of games would follow suit. I think I think the modern cinematic game owes a lot to Final Fantasy VII, for sure. And there's just so much good going on in this game. Well, whether Well,
0: that yeah. let me ask you, Mike, there is so much good. If this game was fully developed and released on the Nintendo 64, is it still regarded as an all-time great?
1: I don't think so. I don't. I think what the N64 was doing doesn't work visually for this game. I think when you look at Ocarina of Time, it really works for that. It works for what they were doing with Zelda. But the size of Ocarina of Time is nowhere near the size of Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy VII is astronomically large comparatively. I I think you kind of needed the teenage edginess of the PlayStation 1. To really, yeah, do there was, a, there was what, a
0: maturity to PlayStation. It seemed like yeah. the grown-up console at that yeah. point. Looking yeah. at games like Banjo and Kazooie, and looking at Mario sixty-four and Ocarina, this game doesn't feel like it. It fit there, no. And it's interesting because they had such a relationship, Mike. I mean, Square and Nintendo worked together. I mean, they made one of your favorite games of all time together. I know they did, and they made many Final Fantasies together. Then they continued their
1: relationship on portable so they continue to well, work together in some capacity that was a big deal though because nintendo and square hadn't worked together since 1996 so when i guess it's like 2002 comes around with crystal chronicles that's when the games started showing up on portables again
0: and you started that's... getting the dragon quest games you started mm-hmm. getting the portable mm-hmm. games the, the final mm-hmm. fantasy
1: games were getting their kind of remake remastered version ports yeah they're ports to the Game boy but like that doesn't happen Square and Nintendo kind of cut their cut their relationship with each other because the PlayStation had Namco and Namco pretty much worked hand in hand with PlayStation to launched the PlayStation and what Namco had done was they had moved to cd-ROm and they had made Tekken for the PlayStation. And they worked with Sony to bring their arcade games to PlayStation. So Ridge Racer and Tekken and things like that. And what Namco did is they lobbied all the other companies to go with them. And Enix had jumped ship to make Dragon Quest Seven And Final Fantasy and Squaresoft at the time also jumped ship because they wanted to use CD-ROM technology. The N64 going with proprietary carts, they were kind of done with that. So Square, Namco, Konami, Capcom, all of the big Japanese companies jumped ship and went over to to the PlayStation. Now, granted, by the end of the N64's life, you did see some Konami games and you did see some Capcom games. Like those came over, but like the PlayStation was really selling them on on the modern, more modern arcade experience. The Sega Saturn was giving you almost a perfect arcade replica.
0: It gave them much larger file sizes to play yep. with. And that was yep. a huge part of it from what you could do with FMVs, what you do with audio files. If anyone has played with ROMs in their life, they know that PlayStation 1 games are pretty large. Those yeah. CDs were 700 megabytes, mm-hmm. which is multiple times the size of a Nintendo 64 ROM.
1: Yeah, that's true. And and, and 64 games, Nintendo Magic, right? Whatever they do to 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 kind of maximize yeah maximize the 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 weathered technology they got it there but like at the same time i don't think final fantasy 7 is final fantasy 7 without the playstation i think there was a maturity about this game immediately and there was a maturity to everything square was doing at that time it wasn't just final fantasy 7 right it was final fantasy 7 it was parasite eve who were kind of connected in some way shape or form because nomura also designed those characters and the the original concept for final fantasy seven was you played as a detective in new york city so i think those ideas and those concepts ended up moving over to parasite eve and final fantasy seven ended up developing their new york into kind of like this new york tokyo hybrid which was midgar and then but if you look at parasite eve and you look at final fantasy seven you're kind of like, hmm. I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to make an emotional jump. These are games that are built for older teenagers and twenty somethings and college students. Like, there's a maturity there, even down to the way the characters look and the character design. There, you're not playing with goofy bug-eyed sprites anymore, right? Yeah. You're no. Not- even
0: though, well, even though these characters do look, as you said, sort of clay or Lego and, and cartoony looking in in the real world. There's a maturity to the storytelling that you didn't get on an N64 game and not to throw shade at the N64, but this game from where it starts to where the characters go and finding out Cloud's history and finding out that Mm -hmm. he's just ripping off Zack and finding out the whole Sephiroth backstory. This is some deep emotional stuff and realizing what Aerith's been through, what Tifa's been through, what these people have lived through. This was not common in video games. And you might play a game like Octopath Traveler today and hear these deep backstories, these characters. Well, yeah, we expect more of that in 2021, 2022. But back in the 90s, you were not getting games that had this sort of deep, deep emotional uh, themes and storytelling.
1: No, definitely not. And each of these characters is in some way, shape or form broken right? They're broken characters. And Final Fantasy had character death already. They had had it in Final Fantasy V where Gallif dies. They had it in Final Fantasy IV where Tella dies and the Paralum and Porum die. But And those are characters that are in your party. But nothing resonates more with the video game community and the RPG player community than Aerith's death in Final Fantasy VII it's a huge moment. It's an incredibly emotional moment in any video game. It's 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 one of those things where it's just like you think you're finally going to save the world and the woman who's going to do it, it gets killed. And I think that not to say anything bad about the other characters that, that die in the Final Fantasy games before this, I think the player has a better connection to Aerith. Than, than you do with some of those other characters like Tella and, and Goliath. And and I think that that's because the storytelling in Final Fantasy VII is is much better. But at the same time, it's very much an anime story. It's very much feels like the beats of an anime where you have the the lead hero. There is a love triangle that's going on. There is a will they, won't they going on. This is all real, real, real tropes from real entertainment media. And the game leads you to believe that like Cloud and Aerith are supposed to be together, even though we find out later that they're not. I mean, think
0: about it just as a comparison, Mike. Naruto knows nothing about his past or his family. Nope. Goku knows nothing about his past or his family.
1: All right. Sidebar for a second. But right, you're right Cloud about that. really knows nothing about his past or his no, family. It's, no. it's a common thing that was used in anime. 100%. And here's a sidebar. I I I got I love Naruto, right? I'm a huge Naruto fan, folks. Just letting you all know out there, I love that character and I love that show. I, I don't get why they hate this kid so much. His dad was the man. His dad literally saved them and they See, hate his guts. Did people know
0: that yes. his... They- his father was Minato. They, I think yes, was. you, I, I, yeah, they all know. They all know he's but Minato. But maybe now that they know the dragon was trapped in him, yeah, the, the, the Ninetales, yeah. the fox, they, yeah. the fox, they think that he's gonna be, he's gonna ruin the village. I don't know. I always uh, thought that too. And yeah, Luffy, I'm always one, the,
1: Luffy for One Piece also doesn't yeah. know his past or his family. It is a common anime thing. Cloud is definitely very much in the line of your shonen hero, but he is older, yeah. right? Cloud is 21. In Final Fantasy VII, so yep. he's a little bit older, so he's got a little bit more. He's lived a little bit more. So, but no, all the storytelling is one hundred percent, one hundred percent, one hundred percent animeish. And at that point in the game where Aerith dies, the game is leading you to believe like this is this is the couple, right? These this is this Cloud and Aerith are meant to be together. Kate Sith has that moment that says like, "All oh, your stars are aligned completely," and. It's essentially you're losing a loved one, right? And when Aerith gets killed, so it's such a moment of depth and and just weight that just with all of that crazy emotion, Cloud's response is like she'll never laugh or cry or any or any of that stuff ever again, and it makes you really hate Sephiroth like one hundred percent. Now la- later on, you find out that Cloud has these these Genova cells or whatever he's got injected in yeah. him that mess with people's memories, and Aerith was actually. Kind of using Cloud as a fill in for her boyfriend, Zach, who also has the worst death ever. Jeez. Yeah. God. Poor Zach, man. Zach is like, Zach is the best. Zach is all, arguably one of the best characters he's, in the he's series. He's what
0: you want Cloud to be. Yeah. It's what Cloud is trying to be.
1: Yeah. But he's not edgy, right? No. Zach is no. kind of like, Zach has great, like, he has an energy about him. He's just a he's, positive. He's he's the shonen hero,
0: right? He's yes, the Goku. Totally. He's, and the, that's he's where like the- and that's where the moment, a lot of people say the moment is Aerith dying. And I knew going into it playing this game. Yeah. That it was going to happen. And I'm sure yeah. it's magical if you didn't know it was going to happen. The moment for me was Nibelheim. Yeah. He's getting the flashback yeah. to seeing about Zach, to finding who Cloud really is, to finding out what became of sephiroth to find yeah. out this whole village was on fire i mean yeah that is a moment that'll stick with me forever that is what carried into crisis core and that 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 game it leads into that moment in real time it's not a flashback no and yeah. it, it's, it's crazy re- it's really is phenomenal
1: it's incredible storytelling and and because you get so attached to it like you would like an anime fan would get attached to something going back and, and playing Crisis Core is like going back and watching Dragon Ball, yeah. right? It's like going back, or it's like the five episode run of Jiu-Jitsu Kaisen that just aired recently where you you have one of the characters, they take a bunch of the characters and they show you yep. their high school years over the course of like five episodes. And but I think that's a
0: great version. comparison because in DBZ, you don't know much about TN's backstory. You don't know much about Yamcha's backstory. And this gives you Sephiroth's backstory. This yeah. gives you cloud and Aerith, yeah. with where, where they even tifa you get a lot of these characters prior to yeah and i think it's really that's what's amazing about final fantasy 7 and why it is this universe now you have the movies you have the remake yeah. you have crisis yeah. core you have there's, ever crisis there's said. an
1: anime too there's like a 30 minute anime as well that's really cool and it's one of i think it's on youtube but yeah. You go back and you experience all this stuff and Cloud is just a tryhard who's just not very good. And eventually he just raises the greatness because of the power of friendship or whatever. But the thing there is that, to be fair, if we were in Japan growing up, we would have known Tiena Yamcha's backstory, but it's kind of cool. I always think it's cool that we saw Dragon Ball Z first yeah. and then had to go back and be like, oh, it's kind of like the Machete Order for Star Wars. Uh, for those of you who are unaware of what this is, it follows the beats of the movie Machete starring Danny Trejo, where you watch Star Wars, the original Star Wars, then you watch Empire Strikes Back to the moment Luke gets his hand cut off, and then you go back and watch episode three to see where Darth Vader came from, and then you finish the rest of the Star Wars. <laughs> so, like, so like I love, that I love we kinda, stuff like that. Yeah, it's so good. I love the Machete version of of like how how like we watched all the DBZ and then went back or played all Final Fantasy Seven, got really invested in these characters and then went back and got to learn like oh Zach is the best like he might be the best character in the in the series. It's upsetting me though if he comes back. I think there are rumors that he's alive
0: in. Oh the I remake. don't know. All yeah. I know is I think I love Final Fantasy Seven. It was one of my favorite Final Fantasy games. Yeah, and I played Crisis Core. I actually like Final Fantasy 7 more yeah. and I appreciate even more now Crisis Core
1: made the original one better. Crisis Core made the first one better and the remake made the first one better. Yes. Like everything I've experienced except for George of Cerberus which is a piece of garbage. <laughs> everything I've experienced it's with Final made, Fantasy it
0: grow your appreciation of yeah, the original. Yeah, it has
1: me. Unlike Star Wars, like if we're going to yes. compare it to Star Wars <laughs> unlike star wars
0: but you hate everything
1: and you, know, you know what's funny i don't know i think all of the extraneous star wars content that we've gotten has made me love the original three more but for the wrong reason yes yes <laughs> like all the extra star wars stuff for the most part is 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 at is like mediocre at best to like okay to like oh it's it's solid right when you have to wonder like is this necessary <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like, listen, I love the Mandalorian. I'm a big fan of that. But once you get into like the other movies and a lot of the other shows, you're kind of like, "Oh, Andor is excellent." But once Andor you get into great. like all that other stuff, you're Rogue like, ah,
0: One was good. I felt like Rogue that one. one had a purpose too.
1: Rogue One rules. I think Rogue One is like my that's favorite. the
0: crisis core. That I think is, that
1: might be my second or third favorite Star Wars it's movie. Sneaky though.
0: good. I, I feel think like people my, watch. It's just not one you want to rewatch because it's not necessarily fun.
1: No, no, everyone but dies. It's
0: Powerful, <laughs> but like if if I think I think well, that's crisis I, core exactly
1: know? crisis core. Everyone dies or Zach dies. Zach but like, dies. Zach, Zach is such a good character, and it, all of this just makes you hate Sephiroth a little bit more.
0: Like um, I want to ask you, we talked about Sephiroth quickly. Is he a top five, one of the best video game villains?
1: I think he's got to be up there. I, I mean, do... Bowser's
0: a shoe-in. you got to put Bowser in because he's just plastic.
1: Bower, yeah, Bowser and you Ganon, know, Ganon. has probably
0: gotten his way up
1: there. It's hard. I like Kefka a lot for Final Fantasy VI because I do think that he's horrifically evil. Sephiroth. You know, M. Bison. you got Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Some good
0: villains. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, Sephiroth is up there. It, it, in turn, if you want to just even go by like just notoriety alone. Notoriety just, alone. Sephiroth is up and there. And people love him. He's a villain you love. Oh yeah, because he's because come on, he takes his shirt off and everyone's like, all right, he, he
0: looks cool, the hair too. <laughs> he's, so, he's got a good so look, man. We know we got one of the best villains, Professor. What is his name? Oh, Ho-
1: Professor Hojo, is, Hojo is, is, is 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 honestly probably the the, the worst villain. And Pretty I crazy. Mean, he is awful. So yeah. he might be worse than Sephiroth. Like I understand Sephiroth wants to destroy an entire planet, but Hojo is
0: is. But but really you kind of learn Sephiroth like how he gets there.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, kind of is it just like,
0: a lunatic. <laughs> Hojo's
1: Hojo's straight up pure chaotic evil. I'm gonna breed people with dogs. So next and, thing I yeah. want to
0: spitball at you. Is this one of the best openings? There's no crawl. You're just thrown into the oh you get the opening scene, you're on a train, you jump meow, off, meow, boom, meow. you're in a terrorist. And there is there a better opening in a meow, video game. Meow,
1: meow, meow, meow. No. It's hard to rival. From the this second opening. dude. I've watched the opening for the original game a million times. Because no, yeah, there's there's nothing like like
0: it. You're not learning to play the game. There's no introduction, learning to push the
1: buttons from starting from space. Yes, down to Aerith kneeling down in the street, turning around, walking out towards through the alley. The trains going, zooming zooming out, and then you know, it's tone setting.
0: So you're all of a sudden, you're a terrorist. It's got this mystical Dude, cyberpunk. You got the empire. You got the slums. You got this rebellion it's- it- going. It's just all happened so fast. And it's not like Twilight Princess, where it takes like two hours to like get it's- started.
1: It's the raddest. And when you... like Going back and then years later, obviously 2020 comes around and the remake comes out. And I've seen the original opening and the, the opening part of final fantasy seven so many times it's it's ingrained in my down to like the beats of the song right to the opening bombing mission music when you see it in the remake it's like it's an emotional moment right it's an emotional moment because you're seeing something that's so important done so incredibly well and handled with so much care and It's like, oh, they feel the same way I do. And it's one of those things where it's just like, oh my God, this is powerful. This is masterwork. And it's one of those things where the more I think about Final Fantasy VII, the more I just have to tip my cap to it of just how special and how good a game it is. And it's everything. Final Fantasy VII. People can pick it apart based on individual little pieces of the game, but everything about Final Fantasy VII is the complete package. It's everything into one. It's the music. It's the characters. It's the environment. It's the story. It's the gameplay. It's the the pacing. It's the it's the 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 set pieces. It's raising and raising and breeding chocobos so you can get Knights of the Round. It's going to Junon and dressing Red XIII up as a soldier. So that he has to walk on two feet, and it's hilarious. It's having a slap fight on a giant cannon. It's flying the airship around. It's going to space. It's. Well, you have to you talk know,
0: about cl- cross dressing as Cloud is, is listen, absolutely man, classic. Listen,
1: man, listen, you got to do them squats, dude.
0: You got to do the squats. Right I, I spent so mission. much time.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. The wall market. Like, it's hard to talk about this game because the there market. is just oh so much. Oh my gosh. The that, wall just the market, market alone, that whole area is iconic. Iconic. That whole wall market section where you're trying to get cloud addressed so that you can break into Don Corneo's mansion and save Tifa with Aerith, who's someone who doesn't even know her yet, but is willing to be like, you know what? No, nah, this girl's probably probably in trouble. And we that whole area
0: is so messed up because when the, the guys just start chasing you in there,
1: yeah, it's yeah. super disturbing, but crazy. I do like how they handled it in the remake a little bit better. The yes. honeybee end is is a little bit better it's in the remake. It's a little classy. Better. It doesn't feel as dirty. I think it doesn't feel. They definitely, they definitely took what didn't work about the honeybee end in the original game and changed it around a little bit. But you got to do squats, and in the new one, you got to do pull ups and <laughs> yeah, and pull ups and squats, and you got to beat the bros. And it's one of those things where it's just, it's everything, and you know, for
0: me, Mike. The moments, and you named a bunch there that are absolutely awesome. I'd say when you're going up the building, when you're going yeah. up the Shinra building, you're just working your way up, and everyone does it different. No two people have gone up the building the same way because nope. you can go up different staircases, elevators, nope. you get to different floors, and getting to finally to the rooftop and fighting the Turks is such a cool, epic showdown.
1: Yeah, you fight, fighting the Turks is incredible. Fighting Rufus and his helicopter yes. is incredible. It's it's just like I remember playing this game and I was I hadn't saved it in a bit and oh, my family no. was getting ready to leave to go to like some family party and I was so close I was so close I had just beaten Rufus I was climbing out of Midgar we were just about to hit the road and I'm hitting the button I'm getting through like every everything and I'm like no 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 I can't do this I can't and luckily you can save when you're on the world map and I had a big sigh of relief but there's so much like tension building because that sequence. Like, the whole Midgar sequence seems like it's really long. But once you get to the building itself, it's like a different sequence that feels just as long. And then that's when you're introduced to Sephiroth because he kills President Shinra by leaving his giant sword in the... In in his back, you're on the balcony, right? aren't you? Like on yeah. the balcony at that yeah. point, it's really so cool. Really good.
0: You said how walking on the map it feels huge. We didn't talk about this. So awesome looking monsters in this the world. Monsters I mean, are unbelievable.
1: Looking. I mean, the the battle, the battle graphics are so good for the what they graphics, were. The
0: battle music that battle, the battle music, music is. is-
1: it's one of the best. Perfect. It's one of the best battle themes. Two of the best battle themes for sure. Maybe three if you can, uh, if you count the Jenova theme. It's the optional bosses and going and fighting the ruby yeah. and the emerald weapons and the ultimate weapon and, and collecting all of the special items all over the world. It's going to the City of the Ancients. It's going to Gold Saucer and Gold playing saucer. arcade games. That's it's, crazy.
0: It's so nutty. And I can't wait to see how they do some oh, of that. Dude, in-
1: Gold Saucer in the remake. Are we kidding? No. You know, it's going to be ridiculous. I'm going to, you know, how many hours I spent playing Final Fantasy VII snowboarding in Gold Saucer? Hours. Yeah. My friends would come over. We would play that stupid snowboarding course over and over and over again.
0: I liked doing the uh, combat arenas, was cool too. That's I mean, also
1: there's, great. There's so many good like things. Omni-slash.
0: Yeah, there's so many good things in the original game. And we're so excited to see how. Remake 2, and probably the eventual remake 3.
1: What is it? Rebirth is the second one?
0: Yeah, handled these games, but you named it before. The graphics, the mechanics, storytelling, uh, characters, cinematics, music. This game was such a huge leap from everything we knew video games could do. As far as success, 92 out of 100 on Metacritic. It's It's got one of the highest scores for Final Fantasy and one of the highest scores of all time. All time. Even more prestigious, it's an S tier on Mike's Final Fantasy ranking. So, you know, it's (laughs) one of the best. But as far as sales are concerned, by May 2010, so several years after it was out, it sold 10 million copies worldwide, making it the most sold in the series. It was also a PC release at that time. Yeah, even the PC release did about a million copies. So, it it was selling by now. yeah, Yeah, it's by 2015. That had jumped up even higher. And then by 2023, well, now it's on everything in Steam, it sold over 14 million copies. Yeah. So you're talking rare air when you start breaking 14 million for an RPG.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I, th- I also think that the success of this game is what was monumental in making anime more acceptable and interesting yes. in the United States. But I would also say the same for role-playing games. I think that if you don't have Final Fantasy VII and it's not as attractive as it as it was, I don't think you... I don't think you get the kind of boom of no. late
0: PlayStation-era RPGs. Somehow the impact and the influence is even bigger yeah. than the game itself because yeah. this game left a huge mark on the industry.
1: Huge mark on the industry,
0: for sure. So... Mike, I think we did it better this time. I think remastering Final Fantasy VII, we did this game justice.
1: I think so. I think we we gave it more time. I know last time, I think we split it with the remake, which we is did. fine. But like at the same time, it's really good to talk about this on its own. I would love to talk about the remake. Yeah. Again, As, at some point, because I think the remake is uh, so incredibly good that uh, I would love to give it a little bit more of its own its own episode.
0: Yeah, they're both special in their own way. So I, I would totally be down for that. So guys, we're coming to here. We're getting towards the end of September as this comes to you. And Nintendo Direct mm-hmm. uh, was just released. So uh, we'll be back with yeah. you guys next time with some yeah. more info on that.
1: Just letting you know, there is a also a Sony State of Play happening state the same to day. State of Play, yeah. State, yeah. Of day, state of Play and Nintendo Direct same day. Yeah, TGS is next week. uh, Tg. By the time we're recording this, TGS is next week. So yeah,
0: this fall we thought video games were crazy this year. They're they're getting busier.
1: So Um, (laughs) (laughs) this isn't going to air beforehand, but so you're not going to hear my. We're not going to hear whether or not I'm right. But the big rumor for Nintendo is that we're going to get maybe a Donkey Kong game and maybe an F Zero game. I'd be I'd be
0: down for either of those. Yeah, I'll take it, Mike. This is awesome stuff. Thank you as always for joining me here. Yes, sir.
1: Also, pretty, pretty, pretty sure that the state of play will show Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Probably more of that.
0: Yeah. No, I think we we only got like some images of like them walking around different worlds. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think we'll see what this game because we still don't know what story beats. Where are we going? Yeah. And I think that's what we want to see. So yeah, we want to see that. Very because that game's only a few months away. I mean, we're talking ah March, right? Yeah, I think they said end of end of winter. So Final Fantasy VII. In the books again, but done right right this time. Mike, thank you as always. Where can people that are all over the planet find you?
1: Yeah, you can find me here every week, uh, or I guess every other week, on the Hall of Fame Video Game Podcast with Matt. Matt, thank you so much for having me. You do incredible work with this show, so I appreciate that. But you can also find me with my band, Bad Mary. You can find us at badmary.com or on all the socials at band. Or you can find me on the Batman Tasticast by searching out Batman Tasticast, which is a podcast that I do with my friend Jordan, where we talk about Batman.
0: Awesome stuff. Mike keeps busy as always. It's true. Guys, do please check our back catalog. We are getting close to 150 episodes. Pretty crazy. We are coming across our third year anniversary. So a lot of awesome stuff. Please leave a review. Leave some comments for us. Let us know what you think of how we're doing and then lastly, tune in next week, uh, well, a couple of weeks from now, every two weeks as we put out our next episode. So thank you guys. As always, enjoy the state of play and directs, which already passed as you hear this, <laughs> and uh, play those video games, guys. See you next time.
1: From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review. and Be sure to tune in next time.